Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro, she's the nice one, and Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice, but together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with Bela Sebro, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items that the mainstream media just won't touch. You know, Bela, we are now one week since the U.S. elections, and while the media basically put their reputations on the line declaring a winner, in spite of how many votes have yet to be counted, and with an election that, unlike previous ones, had millions of mail-in ballots that had their own issues of legitimacy. While other countries follow our elections, I feel very comfortable saying that Israel has a very strong interest in this race, not only because of the many Americans who have dual citizenship and live in Israel and vote here, but also because no president has been more pro-Israel than Donald Trump. Unlike Democrats who speak nicely of Israel when speaking before Jewish audiences, Donald Trump spoke of his support for Israel at every one of his rallies, which usually had between 30 and 50,000 supporters. This was unprecedented. As I predicted in my book, Israel Betrayed, uh, I predicted that the more pro-Israel Donald Trump becomes, the more vitriolic the attacks from the Jewish left would be against him. And it is reported that roughly 65 to 70 percent of American Jews still voted for Joe Biden, uh, and this is in spite of his embrace of J Street and uh, his um, Kamala Harris's non-record on Israel. Still, uh, the overwhelming majority of Jews voted for Joe Biden. We also know that Iran and the Palestinians were rooting very heavily for Donald Trump, which speaks volumes. But there is still debate if whether in the short term Israel will be hurt as much as they were by the Obama administration. With so many things happening in the U.S. right now, with COVID, with other issues, Democrats holding a slim margin in the House, and the Senate quite possibly staying in GOP control, Biden will not have a very strong hand. And with daily reports that the radical squad in Congress, led by Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, and Ilhan Omar, threatening an all-out war against Democrat leadership, Israel could get through this relatively unscathed. There's much more to speak about, but I'm going to turn the mic over to you before you introduce our very distinguished guest today. Uh, Alan, you mentioned how this election had millions of mail-in ballots. In New York alone, one and a half million people voted by absentee ballots. With regards to Israel, one of the scenes that stand out in my mind during election night is a video where Israelis were watching the election results on the dashboard, and there were people crying. And then I had the opportunity to speak about the elections with Israeli citizens who made Aliyah as well as those who were born there. And the consensus pretty much was that they expressed concern, specifically how U.S. foreign policy in the region will shift and how the result will affect negotiations with Iran. What's also very interesting is that Israelis view Trump as a friend, especially because they feel that Benjamin Netanyahu is friends with him. And the very fact that he moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem instilled in the citizens a sense of security. They feel he helped bring peace with Arab countries, and that's very important to them. 
On a humorous side note, some have even expressed that Netanyahu changed his hair to look like Donald Trump, that in addition to what some call his copying of Donald Trump's use of social media, where he launched the webcast to counter alleged uh, fake news. And now it gives us great honor to welcome our prestigious guest, Dan Diker, who is a fellow and senior project director at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, where he heads the program to counter political warfare and BDS. He is editor and co-author of the JCPA's latest volume, Israelophobia and the West. He has also authored numerous books on the, glo on the global BDS campaign. Dan is also a research fellow at the International Institute for Counterterrorism, IDC Herzliya, and previous, previously served as Secretary General of the World Jewish Congress, the global diplomatic organization representing Jewish communities in 100 countries. Dan received a BA cum laude from Harvard University and an MA in Government and Counterterrorism Policy, summa cum laude, from the Interdisciplinary Center Herzliya. He is married with five children and immigrated to Israel in 1990. Welcome, Dan. The Thank question, you very much, <laughs> So I have a question. The question is, um, if Biden is declared a winner, how will he shape U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East? And will his presidency affect historic peace agreements recently reached with United Arab Emirates, or will it empower him? I'm sorry, or will it empower Iran, Israel's longstanding enemy, especially since Iran is celebrating now? You know, Balin Allen, we we obviously don't know yet what the Biden um, what Biden policy will be. I will say this: that that Joe Biden has proven himself to be a friend of Israel very much, and a friend and a personal friend of Prime Minister Netanyahu. They've known each other for four decades. You know, Biden, um, in my sense, is his own man when it comes to foreign policy. He's a he's uh, in his uh, between forty and fifty years in politics. He's been proven a realist. Um, we know that, uh, you know, we know that on the Iranian track, he's, um, he's a, a, a security guy, what they say in Hebrew, a bitchonist. He's, he's very much uh, driven by, by uh, issues of national security. And I think that his vice president uh, elect, if, if that's the case, we don't know yet. It's all, it's still all in the courts. But if, answering your question, if that's the case, uh, it, it seems to me that Biden-Harris will have a difficult time unraveling if they choose, if they try to do that, uh, Trump administration sanctions. And the sanctions have proven to be very effective. The Iranian currency, the rial, is a fraction of what it was in 2013 when the P five plus one first entered, uh, you know, into uh, inner negotiations, then ultimately um, uh, ended up in, in sanctions ratcheting up in the Trump administration in 2000. And, uh, and 2018. Uh, and in fact, um, you know, Biden is enough of a realist to understand that if he wants to renegotiate, and there will be some renegotiation of this deal, whether it's a Trump administration or Biden administration, um, there will be a renegotiation. And, and, and as Elliot Abrams said, uh, you know, senior uh, uh, U.S. Uh, counselor negotiator on Iran uh, and Venezuela, who was just in Israel last week, and he said, listen, uh, if, if, if Biden renegotiates, he will renegotiate on the basis of Iranian behavior in the region. Uh, it's not that he will just automatically try to undo all of the sanctions that the Trump administration ratcheted up and that, and that Israel has been calling to ratchet up for years and years, because uh, I, I clearly uh, Biden understands the, the Iranian regime threat 
and uh, and if he are if he is to go back into some sort of uh, negotiated arrangement, it won't be exactly the JCPOA, which is the which was the acronym for the um, the existing arrangement. He'll go into it uh, recognizing that he has the leading uh, the the world's leading financer, ideological driver, operational uh, op enabler of international terrorism, which is the Iranian regime. So he. So I think we're starting from an, you know, an important uh, jumping off point for an important platform, a very weak Iranian regime, uh, an administration that will come in uh, and that will understand that there has to be serious change in Iran's behavior, which I personally don't believe. I don't believe anything the Iranian regime says other than that they want to destroy Israel. That I believe. Uh, and they've proven that, by the way, they've proven that time and time again throughout the Middle East. Um, uh, from one Arab state to the next in Saudi Arabia, who today, by the way, is uh, Israel's biggest ally in the Middle East when it comes to fighting um, the Iranian regime, will have a lot to say to the Biden administration people. So if, if the administration wants to take what Netanyahu says with a grain of salt because of the propaganda that is, is circulating in Washington about Netanyahu, you know, it's kind of like personality propaganda um, they, what they have today, uh, Bela, is a very strong Israel-Arab uh, state alliance when it comes to Iran. Iran, and so therefore the the you know whether it's Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Oman, Morocco, uh, Sudan, you name it, they will be mouthing off on the Iranians, and and um, their you know constant attempt to subvert Arab states across the country uh, across the region. So I think we can have confidence that the administration will get it, you know, whether it's Tony Blinken, who was my former classmate at Harvard College, who becomes either national security advisor or secretary of state, or whether it's, or whether it's uh, 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 Dr. Rice, um, they will hear an earful from the Arab world who's already gone public with regard to Israel and the, uh, and the Iranian threat. So one of my concerns is this, and you touched on this with Joe Biden, I personally don't think he's a bad guy. He's been around the scene for a long time. He certainly is. He could be your pal and your buddy. He's not an ideologue the way Barack Obama was. My concern is, is are those surrounding him? Uh, it was reported last night that former CIA director and Islamist, Islamist, John Brennan is part of the transformation team to create a team around Joe Biden. I'm concerned about the new wave of the Democrat Party. Remember, most of them are younger. And they don't. They know Israel and the conflict from 1993 on. They don't remember the PLO. They don't remember the hijackings and the terrorists. What they remember is peace accords. And Israel is uh, building walls and keeping the Palestinians down. Um, there are 96 members of Congress, uh, Democrats, who are part of the Progressive Caucus. These are all PLO leaning. Uh, the squad. Uh, that's you know Elon Omar Talib. You know, people say that they're just four voices, but they're not really four voices. They are the loudest four voices. If you remember, after the last election, Steny Hoyer led a bipartisan delegation to Israel, but it was, it was barely reported here in the U.S. And when Israel banned Talib and Omar from coming to Israel, uh, it was reported that Ron Dermer got clobbered by Jewish Democrats, including Gerald Nadler, Steny Hoyer. There were threats that they wouldn't let him into any more meetings. So to me, while historically Steny Hoyer was always a reliable friend, I think that they're all terrified of this squad. So I don't think this is about Joe Biden in as much as 
the pressure that's to be brought upon him. Now, again, because right now there is so much flux going on between the Democrats losing House seats, between God willing, the Republicans keeping the Senate, you're right, I think his power will be limited. And because he's not an ideologue the way Obama was, I don't think he's going to be as much of a thorn to Israel. But nevertheless, I don't think that it won't be the same as it was before, that's for sure. Well, that's clear, uh, Alan. Uh, two points here. One, um, the Jewish community in the United States uh, has a major challenge before it, no question about it, because um, what uh, American Jewish liberalism was in the 1970s and 80s and even 90s has become um, what is known uh, uh, eloquently as progressivism. That's the way Jeremy Benamy describes himself. Yeah. I would really call it radicalism. And I think that Peter Beinhardt, um, you know, coming out of the closet and basically calling for the dissolution of the nation state of the Jewish people really is an indication uh, of where the goalposts are today. And I, I think that, you know, um, uh, Beinhardt, who's a very, very intelligent, um, deeply misguided, uh, um, um, you know, right. orthodox Jew, who's a beautiful writer and very cogent and, and clear uh, and writes in Jewish currents all the time, um, you know, has just enough, um, just enough knowledge uh, and, and, um, and clarity from his point of view to take the highly, I think, uninformed Jewish community farther to the left. And the problem that we're facing in the United States today in the American Jewish community is what I call Palestinianism. Palestinianism is the political reflection of a, of a postmodernist uh, uh, thinking uh, um, you know, among progressive circles, which is that the nation state is bad, universalism is good, identi identity politics, it's in, it's all about my skin color, it's not about what I believe, it's not about what Martin Luther, uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said, which this is the content of my character, not the color of my skin. It's exactly the opposite in America today. And I think that, that regretfully, we, where we saw a, a, you know, an across-the-board condemnation, of course, of the George Floyd killings, uh, murder as, as it should have been, but, uh, but uh, then again, we saw a massive outbreak of anti-Semitism um, in cities across the United States in the name of racial justice, in the name of racial justice. This is a major collision that I think the American Jewish community is, is um, you know, in the front seat without a seatbelt on, and I'm not quite sure that they know how, how, to, how to handle this. Now, Palestinianism also became, uh, was a result uh, of the of the uh, the George Floyd uh, anti the so-called anti-racism mass protests across the United States, because what Palestinianism has become is a political reflection of the of the you know black white if you will or the Black Lives Matter leadership today, which is a radical left leadership. Um, not to say that black lives don't matter; they do matter, but they matter also. All lives matter. That's what Dr. King would have said. Of course. But what we have today is a type of, of Palestinianism, which means that the Palestinian issue is not being discussed among American Jews as an issue of territory or territorial compromise. It's, it's really being used as a political weapon against the very existence of Israel as a nation state of the Jewish people under the guise of political justice, under the guise of equality, under the guise of fairness, under the guise of two states for two people. And at two peoples, and it's not that discussion at all. And I think the American Jewish community is going to have to come to terms with that because I think that there is a high level 
of disinformation, misinformation, uh, Soviet and Chinese communist propaganda that has really taken over this conversation about, about Israel and the Palestinians. And I think that, um, that you know, if we can get that discussion uh, uh, back onto the track of truth, as opposed to uh, communist and Soviet type of propaganda, uh, then we will have the opportunity, I think, to, to, uh, to create a much uh, fairer, more balanced conversation about the Democratic Party and about Israel. But right now, that, that conversation is warped, disfigured, um, uh, and almost demonic uh, regarding the Jewish state. And I think that it's Palestinianism that is driving this sense that Israel is an apartheid, Nazi, colonialist, imperialist implant, all of which is pure anti-Semitism, according to the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism. Until we can get these definitions and this narrative back on track, it's going to be very rough going for the American Jewish community, 70% of whom, or of which, at least voted um, uh, for Joe Biden, which is fine. But what is not fine is the squad, which is in the squad is an anti-Semitic uh, mafia uh, that is unfortunately dragging into the mud um, and into this type of, of communist propaganda um, the entire uh, Democratic Party. Which, by the way, all polls show the Democratic Party is still, um, you know, pro-Israel, believes in the Jewish, believes in the Jewish and democratic state. But it is this. The, the fringe discussion that that now Cortez uh, has been dragged into and Clyde is uh, is has been leading and Elon Omar, you know, virulent anti-Semite, um, has been uh, dragging the Democratic Party way off over the edge. And in fact, Cortez said just the other day she's not sure she wants to be even in politics because she's been she's been she's been being uh, wrapped on the knuckles by some of the more moderate elements of the Democratic Party. So. That, that conversation the Democratic Party has to have, you know, has to happen. The balanced conversation has to uh, hopefully try to uh, reorient the American Jewish community. And if that if that can happen, I think we can we you can get to a better place in America, which I, which I think um, the American discussion is in a very bad place right now. Dan. Biden uh, will soon choose a Secretary of State. The two mentioned names by insiders are former National Security Advisor and UN Ambassador Susan Rice and former Deputy, Deputy Secretary of State and Deputy National Security Advisor Tony Blinken. The impact on Israel will be dramatic in the U.S. for sure, with the Republicans who held Rice responsible for misinformation surrounding the deadly attacks on the U.S. consulate in uh, Benghazi. Benghazi in September 2012. But the question is, how will a Secretary of State be greeted by Israelis? Well, it, it, one thing that's very important, and, and, you know, and I say that as somebody who uh, has been a very publicly complimentary of the Trump administration's uh, policy towards Israel. I mean, you you know, you say what you want to say about President Trump's uh, personal tweet habits and and you know some of the other statements that he's made. There has not been a combination of U.S. presidents, Democratic and Republican both, that has done that has understood um, uh, you know Israel's um, positions and has helped Israel, has helped the Jewish people through its um, small and struggling uh, and small uh, nation state, embattled nation state, um, than, than President Trump has. And, and so, uh, you know, having said that, from an Israeli point of view, um, 
you know, this is a, Israel's a bipartisan issue. I think that President Obama is the first president that truly made Israel a partisan issue. Uh, and um, his parting shot, which all Israelis uh, believe, was to, to throw the Jewish state under the bus, under all four wheels of the bus, was the, uh, was, uh, uh, the decision by the president not only to uh, refrain or abstain is the better word, uh, and allow UN Security Council Resolution 2334 uh, that, uh, that falsely and, and uh, mendaciously accused um, Israeli community building east of the 67 lines, including in Jerusalem, of being illegal, uh, which then was overturned by the lawyers in the Trump State Department. But in fact, uh, uh, we understand that President Obama had helped engineer that, uh, uh, you know, that legislation. So uh, there are very hard feelings about, uh, about uh, President Obama's behavior as a parting shot when he was a lame duck president. Now, having said that, I'm a firm believer as an analyst of, of um, Middle East affairs and, and, and U.S. affairs that, that Israel must be a, a bipartisan, it is a bipartisan issue, it must be a bipartisan issue. Um, uh, and, uh, and therefore, to receive any Secretary of State with open arms is an important thing for, for Israel to do. Um, clearly, it's up to Israel, and I don't. And I think that Israel has not done a great job in carefully and meticulously explaining the problem with the Palestinians, or the, the or the problem uh, on the ground with Iranian behavior. Everything is sort of circulated around the nuclear file, which uh, which I think uh, gave rise to the Obama administration's hyper focus on the nuclear capabilities of Iran. But, you know, as, as uh, Professor Bernard Lewis of Blessed Memory said, actually, uh, in my parents' home in a um, sort of off-the-record briefing about uh, four years ago, he said, you know, we haven't given enough attention to the malign behavior on the ground across the Middle East in every, almost every Arab country by the Iranian Quds Force, by the Iranian Revolutionary Guards by all of their local terror proxies. And this is what Israel has to explain to the incoming Secretary of State, is that our fear is not that we would be wiped off the map by an Iranian regime nuclear weapon, but we would be, um, that, but our existential security would be at risk uh, when the Hezbollah, which is basically an Iranian group that is sitting on our border, when they fire 160,000 rockets, some of them with laser guided, uh, you know, uh, with laser, laser guidance on them, uh, as well as Iranian, uh, what is basically de facto an Iranian proxy in the south, in Gaza, uh, that Hamas, uh, you know, there are Iranian advisors in Gaza right now as we have this conversation, and that they have the ability to threaten half of Israel uh, from the south, uh, not to mention, um, you know, uh, Iranian missiles coming from there, as well as uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, the Hezbollah and other Iranian presence in Syria. So we face Iran in Syria. We face the Iranian regime proxies in Lebanon. We face them in Gaza. We're basically surrounded on three sides, uh, and and that's what we've got to we've got to explain as well that the Palestinians now in the West Bank, the leadership in the West Bank, has now decided uh, post Abraham agreements to join this radical extremist network that is being run by Iran and as well and as well as the Turkish. Uh, Muslim Brotherhood regime. So we, we really have to be very clear about, about our unique strategic and existential threat 
that we face, no other country in the world faces it, and, and really make sure that the Secretary of State understands where we're coming from uh, on, this, on these files. Bailak, do I have time for a question still? Uh, yeah, we actually have time for two more questions, so go okay. for it. So, you know, you mentioned about, you know, Israel not articulating the threat. Uh, Bibi has been talking about Iran for years at the United Nations, but I remember um, years ago, because I, again, I'm, I'm 58. I remember back in the days when he was the, uh, the face of Israel on Nightline with Ted Koppel, and he was a super rock star. And then he became the prime minister um, during the Clinton administration. And if you read uh, Dennis Ross's book, The Missing Peace, the Clinton administration sought to compromise and undermine Bibi. The Democrats made him a target. They made him the villain so that anything he said would be discredited or seen uh, as warmongering. So even though the warning signs were there, there is a concerted effort here by the Democrats. Again, it's not the whole party, but certainly within the leadership. Uh, Obama was, you know, Rahm Emanuel who everyone thought he'll be the gatekeeper for Israel. He had it in for Netanyahu. Uh, so um, sometimes, again, from our end here, you do have, it's, it's more personal. Um, the fact that Bibi didn't get along with Obama made the Democrats and Jewish Democrats in America angry. The fact that he got along so well with Trump made them angrier. The fact that Trump and Israel now are so, uh, so close makes them even angrier. So. You know, I don't agree with that. I don't like the idea that Israel has to do more. Um, Israel did nothing wrong. Israel doesn't have to apologize for getting beat up and saying, I don't like getting beat up. There's nothing that Israel did to the Democrats or to Barack Obama except saying, you know, we're not going to be your doormat. But he was, you know, support for Israel is politicized. You know, for me, I look at support for Israel as a moral imperative. Uh, for many on the Jewish left, support for Israel is a political consideration. When I'm on social media and I see Jewish Democrats saying, oh, Israel will be fine under Biden, they would never say that abortion or same-sex marriage would be fine under a Republican administration. So for them, Israel is political. They see Israel as, you know, almost like a charity case. They don't recognize that Israel is a world leader in science, medicine, technology, agriculture. For those who call Israel racist, how many millions of black Africans have been fed because of the high-tech agriculture that Israel brought into their countries to help them? So Israel um, is not being given the credit that's due. At the same time, support for Israel has become politicized instead of valued. Because the reason it's become politicized instead of valued by many uh, you know, on the political left, especially in the Jewish community, is that the, many Jews today don't experience their Jewish identities as being inextricably linked and claimed by Jewish history. And Jewish history means the, the you know, Jewish collective identity, which means Israel. When we were growing up in the 1960s and 70s, remember, Israel had miraculously won two wars. It almost got wiped out um, in 1973. The fear was it was going to get wiped out in 1967. But there was, there was the sense that, um, you know, that Jewish history uh, was completely vindicated, and Jews uh, lionized the Jewish state because it became um, the really the focus and center of its identity, as Nathan Sharansky has said time and time again. But what has happened in the subsequent decades is is this is this Jewish identity move away from being part of a nation, away from being part of a nation um, that existed twice in history, 
And this is the third attempt to have a Jewish commonwealth, a Jewish republic um, in the Middle East. So Jews don't see themselves as being claimed by Israel, I think, the way we did in the 1960s and 70s. And that is a major challenge of Jewish self-definition and Jewish self-understanding for the American uh, Jewish community. That's why, as you say, Israel's become politicized because for them, it's a political issue. It's not an issue of their own identity. And on the same, in this, however, Israel threatens their identity because it keeps because it keeps making the claim historically on Jews around the world. So the American Jewish community is going to have to deal with this uh, with this um, uh, uh, internal tension uh, as to how they experience Israel. Dan, we have two more minutes. Um, according to the Times of Israel, the Likud, Likud officials warned that a loss for Trump could impact Netanyahu badly. Um, as well as make Washington more wary of clashing with the United Nations institutions on Israel's behalf. Moreover, according to a recent article in the Jerusalem Post, Netanyahu was being blamed for ruining relations with the Democratic Party. Do you agree? Well, it's clear that the Democratic Party and, and Netanyahu parted, uh, I think, uh, 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 parted ways over the last years. But I really believe that it's, it, it's in large part due to the politicization that President Obama um, uh, you know, made of, of Israel. And I, and I think that, I do think that Ambassador Dermer focused more on, on uh, natural partners and, and the, you know, Republican Party basically stood up and said, we are the partners of the state of Israel. So c come to us. And I think that, that, you know, when you started hearing, uh, uh the, you know, the, the, the fallout of the Obama administration, uh, partisan politics regarding Israel, I think that Israel sort of went to its national, to its uh, nat, more toward its nat, natural partners. However, I think it's very important for Israel to reach out both to its as a non as a, as a bipartisan issue to both sides of the aisle. And I think now that we have the Abraham agreements, the Arab these Arab states will say, "Hey, wait a second! It's not the Palestinian issue that's at the center of the Middle East. It's the Iranian regime threat to the Arab states and Israel and everyone else that's at the, at the center of the Middle East threat." So I think. I think there's a, a possibility of re-engineering and recalibrating uh, the American understanding of the Middle East that puts Israel on the right side of history, uh, that Netanyahu has always claimed since he first spoke to the Joint Houses of Congress in 1996 about the Iranian regime and its malign behavior. He's been right about everything he said about the Iranian regime. Okay, great. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so very much for joining us. And for our listening audience, check out Dan Dyker's books that are available on Amazon. Again, thank you so much. You can come to the jcpa.org and come get our... Uh, uh, tomorrow I'll be releasing with Khaled Abu Tuame. this is actually a scoop, uh, our latest uh, uh, deep uh, analysis, which is called Arab Normalization and Palestinian Radicalism, the Tug of War over the Middle East Peace Process. Great, Dan, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.